Welcome to Macintosh and Mod. Haven't seen what? The podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana. And I'm David. And today we are watching Beaches. A privileged rich debutante and a cynical struggling entertainer share a turbulent but strong childhood friendship over the years. Yep. Wow. Wow. You know, it's been a while since a movie made me this actively angry at it. This movie? This movie's just so bad. It's terrible. Yeah, I'm. I I was so annoyed watching this movie because, and it's because of the way this film is talked about. This film is talked about like it's just so good and it's so wonderful, and it is not. <laughs> it's not. What happened where people thought this was the most amazing thing they'd ever seen? I really don't get it. I do get it. I do. And I think it's just the idealized female friendship. That, sure. that's, that's really all it is more than anything else. It's just you just randomly meet somebody and you become friends and you just no matter what are there for each other. But these ladies are kind of horrible friends. Like Cece's a horrible friend. At the end of the day, she's a shitty friend. They're both shitty people. No, I don't. I don't think they're both shitty people. I think they just... They just didn't have anybody else. They're so white. They're so fucking white. There's that. But they just, they didn't have an honest friendship. And so they, it was just like, oh, that's, that's my person from this, this, this moment. So they're going to still be my person now. And so then they became the friend from this moment. And then they just kept connecting dots. Yeah. And then she dies. (laughs) (laughs) You know, this movie It goes all over the place emotionally. It has no clue whether it wants to be a comedy or a drama or a dramedy or something else entirely. Mm -hmm. It's completely of about five different tones. And then what really pissed me off was the way it ended in the most self-serving, egotistical way Uh for the character. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to blame our actresses too much. Although I will say, Bette Midler is one of the main producers of this movie. Of course she is. So just throwing that out there, that there is a level at which this movie was self-serving feels like a harsh word, because I feel like we generally like Bette Midler a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I don't know. There's something to this movie. That ending, when she tells this kid about how insecure she is about being a parent. Mm-hmm. In what world <laughs> is that how you tell a child whose mother has died about what decision they should make? If you don't want to come with me, Victoria, I, I will understand. I'll understand. I mean, I don't know what kind of a mother I'd make. I wouldn't believe the things that go through my head sometimes. And I'm very selfish, too. I don't know what she was thinking of when she picked me. It's just so bizarre. And it really has to do with the writing. It really has so much to do with how the characters were drawn up and what is completely left unsaid about these characters. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, of course, a version of this movie that actually works because we've seen movies made about female friendships that work, right? 
there there's a nature of the, these two's relationship where it is more nuanced, where it is subtle, and where it is interesting. And they went for the absolute hardest take on both of these women <laughs> i'm trying i'm trying you ask an interesting question i'm trying to think of the the film where female friendship works which one are you thinking of bridesmaids <sighs> it's a bit it's a bit absurd to be completely realistic but see that's the thing that's usually the joke is not that the friendship works it works in the end but we have to go through a, a lot of pettiness and bitchiness to to hmm. prove that the friendship works and it's played for laughs because I'm thinking through all this other stuff and it's just some other I'm thinking through some other films and it's like yeah that that's it again that's it again that's it again it's like yeah at the end everyone's friends and we're getting along we had to go through a lot of name calling and hair pulling and backstabbing and pettiness because that is how we're depicting female friendship so is beaches responsible for that not solely, no. But it's a huge signpost. <laughs> it is definitely a huge signpost for sure. I I will say this. This film is of the 80s. This is a film that I grew up hearing about. This is definitely something that parents were telling us to model. Mm. This is not friendship. Like showing up. When shit happens is friendship. Yes, I want to say that, especially here in the times of COVIDs where your very good friends can be on the other side of the country and your relationship with them is in a digital pen pal form. <laughs> Those people are still your friends. Like I'm not shitting on that at all. But everything that happens when they're in person, they are horrible to each other. They're not good friends to each other. Honestly, it is hard to tell, but I, mm -hmm. I really do think that a lot of that has to do with the fact that we condensed something that seems like it needs a whole lot more time mm -hmm. to properly tell or a whole lot better organization to properly tell than what we did. Yeah. It feels like we slapped together a bunch of scenes in these two people's lives mm -hmm. and then said, here you go. When there should be an arc, there should be a tie through to clearly there's a class divide and that needs to be something that's very explicitly understood instead of just having two women gripe at each other get to that core because <laughs> it's a big deal well the thing is that at the beginning it was very obvious that cc understood that i am not i'm considered trash and you are not and hillary did not understand that but as cc became more successful that becoming not an I don't want to say an issue, but still being present that there's still being this thing with CC proving herself to Hillary that no, I, I am worth being wherever you are because Hillary's status never changed. I'm worth I'm worth your friendship. Yes. And but, that only that only barely gets mentioned like near the end of the movie. But here's the thing. Her thinking is like, I'm worth your friendship, but she treats her friend like crap. <laughs> she treats her friend like crap. It's so badly written. Th these characters are two-dimensional. They're so two-dimensional. And that's what's so incredibly apparent from like 20 minutes in mm -hmm. is you go, I don't care who you put in these roles. I don't care if you got like Meryl and the two, just the two greatest, most renowned actresses of the time. It does not matter. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. 
like Meryl Streep in both roles, it would still be shit. It would still be shit because there's nothing to them. They are just cardboard cutouts to serve some asinine plot points. Mm -hmm. It's bad. The budget for this movie was $20 million. I have to imagine that has to do with the fees of some of the stars Uh and the locations. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because as we find out, this was nominated for an Oscar. What? Uh, We'll get there later. Jeez. You won't be that mad about it. It's for the music, isn't it? Mm Mm-mm. Oh, okay. It grossed $57 million. Okay. For a movie like this, a three times return on investment is not bad. It's actually really good for a a movie that's very much targeted at a specific audience. Okay. However, there were many critics who tend to agree with us on this film. Mm -hmm. Generally speaking, critics were well cognizant of the emotional manipulation of the movie. Some had positive things to say, which was like, yeah, they do it, but damn it, they do it so well. And I'm like, no, they don't, but okay, whatever. But here were some of the other choice quotes. Roger Ebert. Beaches begins on a note of impending doom, and that colors everything else with an undertone of bittersweet poignancy. And believe me, there is only so much bittersweet poignancy I can take in any one movie. Oh, wow. Okay. Gene Siskel. I heard some sniffling among some audience members, but the story goes for one situation that is guaranteed to produce sympathy. Only her, referring to Midler, occasional singing redeems an otherwise emotional roller coaster that travels in slow motion. Mm -hmm. Jonathan Rosenbaum of the Chicago Reader. The film's oily overdefinition of various class and cultural categories is strident enough to betray a condescending attitude toward the audience. All of this is fair. All of this is very fair. It, it is fair. Jay Boyer of the Orlando Sentinel. This is the sort of picture in which people slap each other as they take their marriage vows, suddenly develop life-threatening diseases, and again, have violent confrontations whenever there's a break in the action. Anything for a laugh, anything for a tear, and nothing much authentic. And Sheila Benson of the LA Times, referring to a film I haven't seen, but clearly getting the point across, the most shamelessly manipulative movie since they shot the dog in the biscuit eater. Wow. Okay. So. I agree with every single one of them. <laughs> I I can't say I'm like shocked by any of this. Actually, no, I am actually shocked because people talk about this film like so great. So wonderful. They played it on TV all the time. I have a distinct feeling that there is nostalgia around this movie. Mm-hmm. And nostalgia around the fact that it was played on TV a lot. Because it's also a relatively safe for TV kind of movie. Terms of Endearment, which this is almost a facsimile movie in some ways. My God. Mm. But Terms of Endearment has a little bit more uh, risque subject matter at times that you can't really get away with on TV. Oh, sure. This doesn't. No. And it's so easily... Cut out the curse words, snap out any half scene of bullshit that you want just so you can keep Bette Midler singing and format it for commercials. Like, it's a perfect television movie. That's the only thing I can think about this. And, like, people were entrenched by the vibe of the movie and Bette Midler, who, I gotta hand it to her, is at least occasionally charming, Mm -hmm. despite the character being terrible. Well, that's Bet. That's Bet Midler. Yeah, there are some things that could explain that, but critics nailed it 
All right, well, let's get into our horrible, horrible writing. Okay. Let's trash it because it's trash. First of all, we shall mention the novel written by Iris Rayner. Um, you know, it's a novel. Uh, her only other big claim to fame was working on the Sonny and Cher show. <laughs> That's kind of cool. I have to imagine this was like a top beach read of the 80s. Okay. Maybe it's better. I feel like maybe at least you get some character stuff that's in a novel that's not in this screenplay. I would hope that there's some more depth to the characters. Please, God. But I can't I, I can't be sure, and I can't know, and I don't care. <laughs> well, our screenwriter is Mary Agnes Donahue. Before this, she wrote The Buddy System. After this, Paradise, Deceived, White Oleander, Veronica Guerin, and Jenny's Wedding. White Oleander? Mm-hmm. Okay, that that is actually a pretty good adaptation of that book. That movie's hard. Mm-hmm. I can't say it's good. That movie's hard. Will it interest you to know that in the book, the character of John Pierce is revealed to be a pedophile? No, that makes sense, given the industry they're in. I'm glad they took it out of the movie. I was like, what? You don't need what it. What a wild-ass turn this movie would have made if they included that story. I'm I'm glad they took it out because yes. it would have been gratuitous and unnecessary. That may also give you an indication of the level at which we are uh, talking about novelization mm-hmm. here. It's not good. <laughs> Look, I, I could conjecture for days about how Bette Midler is a producer on this movie mm-hmm. and that driving some, some decisions. Mm-hmm. Honestly, this movie might just be a garbage beach novel put on celluloid. Yeah. Which, if that's the case and people just really connected with it because that's what it was, fine. And here's the thing. I've read some garbage beach novels, okay? Yeah. They are fun and can be very enjoyable. But when you turn them into a film, you have to make them enjoyable. Yeah. And I don't know that they did that. I think they threw a bunch of Bat Midler songs in there, and I don't care. I don't care. There's no character development. None whatsoever. No. Even bad beach reads have at least some character development. Or there's something engaging about the character in there that pulls you through the story. Yeah. There was none of that from either character. It's such a formulaic story. Like, it would be so easy to make this movie a very basic script, a very basic story, mm-hmm. just keep it real simple, and then just layer the Bette Midler stuff on top of it. Mm-hmm. That's all you had to do. But yeah. it feels like they went for something way more complicated and unnecessary. Yeah. And it's it's all just bad. The whole story is completely two-dimensional. It's paper thin. And like that one critic says, it feels insulting. Mm-hmm. After a while of watching it, that you think y'all really thought that you were going to captivate me with this? Yeah. <sighs> it's not. It's not great. It's not. I will note that Hillary's illness is an actual medical condition. Mm-hmm. It's a virus that weakens the heart and prevents it from pumping blood to keep a person alive. At that time, it was typically fatal. Okay. So that was true for the time of the movie. Since 2005, many, many people have been able to survive using beta blockers and implantable cardio defibrillators. But it is a thing. It's a real thing. So, hey, at least they put that level of effort into it. That's important. (laughs) Let's talk about our director. It's Gary Marshall. How? (laughs) How? How is this Gary Marshall? This is the first time we have talked about Gary Marshall on this show. He is 
of course, a legend. Wow. Okay. Who, before ever getting into film, created Happy Days, Laverne and Shirley, and Mork and Mindy. Mm-hmm. Then, in film before this, The Flamingo Kid and Overboard, he directed. <sighs> and after this, he directed Pretty Woman, Frankie and Johnny, The Other Sister, Runaway Bride, The Princess Diaries, Raising Helen, The Princess Diaries 2, Royal Engagement, Georgia Rule, Valentine's Day, New Year's Eve, and Mother's Day. This is Gary Marshall. But this is such bad Gary Marshall. And that's not to say that everything else in that list is good Gary Marshall, but it's a considerably different tone. I, I, again, this is where there are a lot of parts of this movie, specifically the comedic parts. Mm Mm-hmm. That feel like Gary Marshall. But there's barely any comedic parts. Exactly. barely anything. And that's why to me, it's like there are moments and flashes of being like, oh, yeah, this feels like a Gary Marshall movie. Mm -hmm. Because Gary Marshall's also, I mean, Pretty Woman's a testament to this. Mm -hmm. Gary Marshall's good about doing comedies that have not just heart to them, but a little bit of grit. Mm -hmm. You know, Laverne and Shirley and Happy Days. There's a little bit of grit in there. You know, it's still wholesome, but it's there. Yeah, I think it's just because it's so disorganized and bad a script. It's a it's a horrible script and it's a horrible story and I hate it. And it's such a mess that there's only so much that Gary Marshall could do. He focused his energy on just like, okay, we're just going to do what we got to do for this scene, I guess. Like, I don't know. (laughs) Here's the thing. I kind of wish Gary had either jumped in that writer's room or mm-hmm. hired somebody else out and said, what the fuck is wrong with this script? Yeah. Somebody else needed their hands on this thing. We needed a fixer. And this one, this movie's bad enough that like halfway through the movie, I looked at you and went, I don't think we can fix this one. I don't know where you start. There's a lot. The, the template is okay. The template is okay. The premise and the story is fine, but there's so many bad choices. There's nothing else in there that is salvageable and it's not just the direct direction didn't help and the actresses didn't give it anything else and it's actually really hurt by Bette Midler she really hurts this film because you know they put things they added things to it for her and it's ruined by that one of the things that I do think would help is that you know we keep getting these snippets of her singing and singing and singing and they needed to limit the songs the songs, it should have been one or two standards. So like she has that song that we see her sing when she's a kid. And that should have been the song that either she sings when, at the end, the wind beneath my wings, that it, it should have been a bookend type of situation. And it should have been the song that she could have been singing. It should have been the song that Hillary asked her to sing. Like, that's the song that makes me feel good when stuff is shitty or whatever. Like, I know you hate singing that song, but that's the one I love. Whatever. That, that brings it back. But it should have been that one. It should have been whatever the other song is her mega star maker. The one that maybe started out is not a big deal that we see her growing through her career with. But that's the only bit we get with the montage of her doing doing it here, doing it there, doing a little bit of this, and is playing over her doing some other not-so-fabulous gigs. But that's it. That's it. Otherwise, we're just getting into this bullshit 
funny lady territory because that's what I said to you when we watched this. I was like, I feel like I'm watching funny lady. You very much were, except worse. Because in this one, the songs have literally nothing to do with what's going on on screen. They have nothing to do with nothing. nothing. That is that is how I would fix one big chunk of the movie. It would have tightened it up and given it given some of that shit a purpose. It's almost like Bet went, I got to make a new album and y'all want to make a movie with me. Let's work together. Mm-hmm. Which there was an album. All these songs were on it. Of course they were. They tied it all in. So fuck. Gary Marshall, you 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 did so much better. I feel bad that this is on your resume. I like you, man, but no. And let's go ahead and then dive into our cast because we have to start with Bette Midler as CC Bloom. We just talked about her for big business, so I won't go through her credits again. Wow, how things shifted in a year. Yeah. Same studio. Mm-hmm. I mean, at least it made her a ton of money. <laughs> I, yeah, good for you I mean get that money but yeah that's not that's, she's horrible at it she's all over the place and what's truly sad is that Barbara Hershey is like a piece of cardboard the entire movie that woman I mean not seen her anything else but she cannot act her way out of a paper bag in this film and she almost looks better than Beck yeah, we'll get into it because Barbara Hershey's an incredibly talented actress. Not in this film. No. Wouldn't know it. Wouldn't know it from this. I think you're absolutely right. Bet is so all over the fucking map mm-hmm. that Barbara has nothing to anchor with. She, she's she got nothing. So she's floating out in space, but she's not doing anything of her own. And the script doesn't help her at all. But Bet's instinct is to just go bigger and stagey with it. And it's like, that is not your character. That is not your character. In these moments, when your character's on stage or when she's trying to explain her performance stuff is, that's the instinct. When you're trying to explain what you're doing with your life, when you're trying to explain why you're leaving this man who told you he's going to marry you because of a part, that is not the time to talk this way. And yet that's what you're doing. And it's just bad. It's so fucking bad. When a child actor portraying you slams your character out of the park so much harder than you can. In 10 minutes, it does a better (laughs) fucking job than you do an entire fucking movie. And understands you better. Mm -hmm. Understands your character better than you. Yes, thank you, Mike. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) It's so bad. You had no clue. (laughs) It, again, it's just so all over the place. And it makes our next actor, Barbara Hershey, playing Hillary Whitney Essex, just so flat. Because mm-hmm. at what point can you match any energy that Bet's giving? Because Bet between lines could change character tones at points in this movie. There are specific lines in which she changes how her character reacts and, and adjusts to things. Mm-hmm. Like Barbara Hershey being tired and dying at the end of the movie is kind of how we all feel watching it. That's exactly it. Because at that point, we're just exhausted of Cece. We just we just don't care. That's what killed Barbara Hershey. <laughs> That's what killed Barbara Hershey. Well, Barbara Hershey does have a lot of credits, and you actually have seen her in a few things. Okay. Before this, she got her big break in one of Scorsese's early movies, Boxcar Bertha. Then Diamonds, Take This Job and Shove It, 
the right stuff, the natural, Hannah and her sisters, Hoosiers, Tin Men, and the Last Temptation of Christ. Okay. After this, she's in Tune In Tomorrow, Falling Down, Swing Kids, Return to Lonesome Dove, The Portrait of a Lady, Breakfast of Champions, Black Swan, Insidious, Once Upon a Time, Insidious Chapter 2, and Insidious, The Last Key. Okay, we have not seen Insidious for nightmare reasons. <laughs> but oh, I forgot she wasn't. She wasn't Black Swan. She was great. She was mm-hmm. fabulous. She's great in Black Swan. She's barely in the natural, but captivating in it. I, I remember. I do now remember her in the natural. Also fabulous movie. And very good and like normal, uh-huh. just solid acting vibes in the right stuff. I don't remember enough. There are too many people in the right stuff. Yeah, it's a it's a four hour movie, and there's and too I, many people. And I also hate that but, movie. I think that movie's crap. Yeah, I know. I know. I understand why people like it, but I think it's crap. But bottom line is, Barbara Hershey can fucking act. Fact, not in this film. Okay, she she cannot save this movie. This, yeah. No, and and it is complicated by a lot of factors. But you know, I don't know if there's just a complete lack of energy Mm -hmm. or just a complete confusion on how to look on screen. It it could also just be as simple as Barbara Hershey and Bette Midler did not have the right chemistry. I never. Not a single fucking frame of film believed that those two women were friends. Never. Not a single bit of dialogue, not a single piece of body language told me those two women were friends. I believed it between the girls. Yes. Even with the actress playing Hillary being a typical child actor is saying like, there are moments where you're like, okay, this isn't really the best. They were awkward children. Done. But Maya Bialik being clearly so good. Oh, she's phenom. Do not, do not, no, those two women, I wouldn't be surprised to find out that they hated each other. I don't care. They were not friends. One interesting note, Barbara Hershey was 40 at the time of making this movie. Mm-hmm. She has been acting since the 70s and like late 60s. She got collagen lip injections to look younger. And her, it was her choice to do so because she was playing college to mid 30. She didn't feel like it would be believable. You know? I mean, I, okay, fine. It, it's, if I could confirm that it was her decision to do that, okay, <sighs> fine. That's your choice. That's, you get to do that. It, it is. It's her choice. I just don't think it's a wise choice. You're a good enough actress. You could pull it off. Like, don't lie. <laughs> Who could have been better? Ann Archer from Fatal Attraction or Donna Mills from Knott's Landing? Knott's Landing. Mm, the blonde bombshell playing Hillary. Because if we're keeping Bette Midler, which we have to because she's the executive producer. <laughs> we do, For real. It has to be more than money that makes Cece insecure. And Barbara Hershey is beautiful, but she's not drop dead gorgeous. She's not. Especially not the way they styled her. No. And Donna Mills is a head turner. Well, yeah. Oh, you're a head turner and you got money? Oh, fuck. <laughs> Cece yeah. is fucked against yeah. this woman and that would make that would also create an, a more uh that would make a bigger conflict between them for cc she's got this huge talent and then okay so she's got this huge talent notoriety and money so once they have that even playing field oh hillary's got money and a husband and now she's got a child oh now she doesn't have a husband anymore but she's gonna have the child okay um but i still i still have that for hand because i'm famous so it, it becomes that 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 chess match between like who's doing better between them. 
Let me give you another one because there was a TV movie remake in 2017. There was? No, I kind of want to watch it. Adina Menzel plays <gasps> Cece Bloom and Nia Long plays Hillary Whitney. I want to watch this. Because <laughs> I do like Adina Menzel. She's a little nasally for me, but I do enjoy her. <laughs> yeah, we can find it. I don't know who made it. We can find it. <laughs> It does not have good reviews, so (laughs) take that for what it's worth. And our only other main actor, because everybody else in this movie is in it for like five seconds, is John Hurd playing Mm -hmm. John Pierce. We love John Hurd. He was one of our greatest character actors. Before this, he was in Cutter's Way, Cat People, Chud, After Hours, The Trip to Bountiful, The Milagro Beanfield War, Big, and Betrayed. After this... Home Alone, Awakenings, Rambling Rose, Radio Flyer, Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, In the Line of Fire, The Pelican Brief, My Fellow Americans, 187, Snake Eyes, Pollock, O, The Chum Scrubber, The Guardian, The Great Debaters, Too Big to Fail, and Sharknado. (laughs) Sharknado with a straight face. (laughs) Not possible. How do we feel about John Hurd in this movie? He's good. I mean, he, he is good. He's um, believable. He like he understands his assignment. Yes. Like, he he gets it. I'm attracted to both these women. And I'm not a good guy. I'm not a good guy. I'm not a good director either. <laughs> but he's a very stereotypical theater director. Yes. I'm I'm attracted to both these women. This is gonna end horribly for everybody because they're roommates dash best friends. Also stereotypical director. <laughs> so He's he's he does his job well. He's like the only person who knows what he's supposed to be doing, even if the script is crap. Uh, he's like, yeah, I'm supposed to be hot. He gets maybe the best scene in the whole movie when he breaks up with CC on the yeah. steps of the theater. Yeah, and it's just like, this is not who I am, and you know this. Yeah, like, but you expect, like, you knew what you like, you knew, like, you are smart enough to know what you were gonna get from this. And I get it. I totally understand that you want to own up to that and you feel like you made a mistake. And I I appreciate that. But I don't want what you want. Yeah. (laughs) I never did. And you want what you want. (laughs) It's actually a sweet, tender breakup scene. Yeah. And even Bet has to come down to that level with him because of how how easy he makes that scene feel. Again, it's why John Hurd was so good. (laughs) One of the few bright shining moments from this entire movie. Yep. We get to our pawns now, and there are a few of them. Playing Dr. Richard Milstein, Spalding Gray, the legendary monologist and spoken word artist before appearing in films such as The Killing Fields, True Stories, The Nanny, and Kate and Leopold. Not the film, The Nanny, the television show. Nanny. If you say The Nanny, the first thing I will do is start singing that theme song in my head. It's a requirement of life. Lainey Kazan playing Leona Bloom. She was Maria in My Big Fat Greek Wedding, along with many similar roles. She originally did not want to take this role, but the opportunity to work with Bed Midler was too good to pass up. Get that money. And she is actually only five years older than Midler, despite playing her mother in this film. I believe that. It's the characterness of her. <laughs> She's such a character. Yeah. Also, she has like one scene with Midler. Yes. Take it. Take it. The makeup works too. It's so great. Like, not do it. Who could have been better though? Shelly Winters. Mm-hmm. 
Bet really wanted her to play her mother in this film, but Winters was afraid that she could not pass the insurance exam. Aww. Well. That was sad. We have James Reed playing Michael Essex. He was Elle's dad in the Legally Blonde movies. Okay. Mayim Bialik playing CC age 11, of course, from Blossom, The Big Bang Theory, many other things. And hopefully our new Jeopardy host. Very possible. She's the best one. She's the best one they've had. I will accept LeVar Burton. Uh, absolutely. Michael Elias playing CD bar patron. He wrote with Steve Martin, co-writing The Jerk, and created the television series Head of the Class. Head of the Class. <laughs> Tracy Reiner playing the department store clerk. She is the daughter of Penny Marshall and took her stepdad's name, that being Rob Reiner. Rob Reiner. She is Gary's niece, and she has been in most of Gary Marshall's movies and a handful of other larger films as well. Jennifer Lewis playing the diva. She was a longtime singer and performer who voiced Flo in Cars and is now a regular on Blackish. Joe Grafossi playing Otto Titzling. You might recognize him as the hotel clerk from Big Business. Yep. Eddie Mecca playing actor number three. He was Carmine the Big Ragu Ragusa on Laverne and Shirley. Kathleen Marshall playing delivery room nurse number one. This is Gary's daughter, who was also in The Princess Diaries as Charlotte. Barbara Marshall playing ICU nurse number two. This is Gary's wife. Scott Marshall playing the car rental agent. This is Gary's son, who now directs and is making a film about Gary Marshall. Aww. Uncredited Hector Elizondo as the judge. Yeah, recognized him immediately. He's He is one of the most recognizable character actors, was also in Princess Diaries, Pretty Woman, Runaway Bride. He's in, he's in all the Marshall films, right? <laughs> you know who he is. Gary Marshall playing the audition director. And finally, Mark Shaman as the pianist, the writer and composer, executive produced Smash. Very nice. Now on to our award nomination. The Oscar nomination for this film. Un a nomination. It was nominated for best art set decoration. I know, I know what this is. I know, I know it. Well, because do you know what it lost to? Uh, no. Dangerous liaisons. Oh yeah, that makes sense. It, that's fair. But the art set decoration is quite good. I will give them that. Okay, but also part of the set is from Big Business. Yes, I yes, it is. Mm hmm. I didn't know that. Barbara Hershey's screen tests were done at the lobby set of Big Business. And the store scene where Hillary and Cece fight is that location. You can tell because the carpets are the exact same. Yep. Touchstone. They were going to do whatever the fuck they needed to make that set that profitable. That expensive. They're going to use that shit. They tried to make a TV show. Uh-huh. The Beach House is number 13 at Crystal Cove in Newport Beach, California. It has since been turned into a beaches museum with a docent available on Wednesdays and Saturdays to answer questions. <sighs> Mayim Bialik did not sing on camera. Bette Midler wanted to use someone that sounded more like her at that age. Mm -hmm. I think that's at least not an insult to Bialik. It's just a, you're very good. You don't sound like me, though. I don't have any problem with that, even today. Just be honest about it, whether it's your voice or not. Don't pretend it is if it's not. Yep. Uh, it just be like, we need some, especially if you're playing a younger or older version of somebody or you're playing a historic person. It's just be like, we what we cast the person who had the best acting and appearance to represent this person. 
And then there was this particular, they, we needed a particular voice and we hired out the voice and they did, it didn't come in the same package. Of course, we want it all to come in the same package, but particularly when you're doing like a biopic or something, that's really hard to do. Yeah. Um, you know, especially, you know, I, I mean, I don't just to be honest, just to be honest with like, I, I'm the face, that's the voice or, you know, I'm, I'm the face. Those are the feet, whatever, whatever it is, <laughs> just be honest about it. In the poster to Sizzle 76, the show is credited as a Gary Marshall production. Okay. <laughs> the song Auto Titzling originated from Bet's 1986 album Mud Will Be Flung Tonight. The story is not true. It is an urban legend created by British humorist Wallace Rayburn that spung into this song. Mm-hmm. The song O Industry was influenced by the work of the amazingly awesome performance artist and musician Lori Anderson, which is both a fun send-up, but also makes me really fucking angry because Lori Anderson's fucking awesome. <laughs> a TV movie sequel was planned for this movie. Oh, God. With Barbara Eden starring in Cece's role. Oh, that, that's kind of cool. That's kind of cool. If they aged her up and Barbara Eden was going to play her, okay, now we've got an interesting take here. Uh, it was never filmed, but mm-hmm. it wasn't going to be bet, so that, that's interesting. And the film was famously referenced on Seinfeld, where Jerry's girlfriend is reduced to tears by the climax of the film, mm-hmm. but Jerry is left unmoved. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this is the one and only time that we will side with Jerry. <laughs> All right, what am I supposed to do here? Should I go over there? It's not like somebody died. It's beaches, for God's sake. If she was sitting next to me, I'd put my arm around her. I can't see making a big move like going all the way over there. I can't. I won't. That's probably another thing that why this is in my mind so much, because I grew up in a Seinfeld household, Thursday night NBC comedy household. My mother was very into the Seinfeld world. And so, yeah, I would have heard a lot about this. Like, okay. And that brings us to ratings. Ratings. For every film, we have a special rating system for this movie. You know, it's not going to be good, but what are we going to give for ratings? Uh... I don't even know. <laughs> I genuinely don't care. Beaches. How many beaches are we gonna get? Beaches. Beach houses. Let's let's be clear. Beach houses. Okay. Uh... I want to give it one beach house from my Like, and that's like it. <laughs> that's like all I want to give it. Cause I'm annoyed by it, and I don't even like. I already did enough work to try to be like, this is how you need to start to fix this, and then we'll see. It's it's a one for me too. For me, not just for my Bialik, but also just in terms of like technically, it's not an unwatchable movie. At least the set decoration got an Oscar, and that's not for shit. We've paid more for worse films, obviously. But I mean, I was almost as mad at this movie as I was about Slapshot. I think the only thing that saves this from a Slapshot score is that it's not patently offensive. Hmm. But it's it's really bad. Yeah. <sighs> Ugh. Yeah. So, and I'm just, if you've seen it, you get it. You probably, you probably get it. And if you haven't, you do not need to. And you're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome. And I hope you enjoyed us complaining about it 
as you enjoy us complaining every week that you listen to us because that is our specialty. And if you love it, we're sorry. I'm not sorry. I am <laughs> not sorry. How dare you put words in my mouth? I am not sorry for shitting on something that is this bad. Yeah. There are films that I can look at and go, this is not for me. Yeah. Like, you love it. That's fine. It's not for me. I will agree to disagree when it comes to La La Land. People fucking love that movie. I think it's shit. Oh, no. I will not agree to disagree on La La Land. (laughs) I will, because these are people who are just, like, very hopeful. And that's fine. It's cool. (laughs) It's it's like the Ted Mosby's of the world think that film is the best movie in the world. And it's like, I'm just going to let them live their life. (laughs) You don't want to argue with them either. No, I don't want to argue with the Ted Mosby's of the world. I'm just not. I'm just. That would be bad. It's not worth it. But not this. This movie's shit. I will fight you. All right. Until next time. Have a good movie. Thanks for listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Thank you.